You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Every time they would observe Passover, they would remember the great sacrifice and the application of the blood, their deliverance, their baptism through the Red Sea, and any leaven that they had allowed to come back into their lives. Now when they observe Passover, they inseparably link unleavened bread with it, and they say, God, oh God, (laughs) that was stuff in Egypt I I let back into my life. Oh Lord, I need to get that back out of my life again. Pastor Danny brings an interesting perspective to communion today. When the Israelites celebrated Passover, they were reminded of the sacrifice necessary the night that they left Egypt, and it brought into sharp relief anything of Egypt's practices or attitudes that had crept back into their lives. Next time you celebrate communion, remember the sacrifice Jesus made for your freedom, but also take the time to evaluate what practices of the world you've allowed to creep back into your life. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of The Living Word. Grab your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29 of Hebrews 11. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Two tremendous stories of God working through a people. And for the most part, Hebrews 11, and if you've been with us, you know this, is a list of individuals of history who, by their faith in God, uh, did great things. But these two verses, it's about a group of people, a people that God was able to do great things through as a result of their united response in faith. You might remember the stories, the Red Sea. Remember the Passover, the application of the blood of the lamb, deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world, so it speaks of our salvation because of the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. But as they leave, they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is coming after them, and uh, God says through Moses, stand still. And that's the hardest thing to do when an army is bearing down on you. And remember the story, even if you've never read it, you've probably seen the movie, as I like to say, Uh, you know, and God parts the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites go through, and then when the Egyptians come and they try to go through, God unparts the waters and the Egyptians, uh, the army there is drowned. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 refers to that experience, that Red Sea experience, as their baptism. Their baptism. 
So salvation, application of the blood, and then baptism. And baptism, of course, represents surviving the waters of judgment. And you come out the other side alive because of the blood of the lamb. Second tremendous experience and story is Jericho. Jericho is the first place in the promised land that God gives them victory. They cross the Jordan. Again, God parts the waters. And the first uh, challenge is Jericho. They march around the city the first day, second day, all six days. Seventh day, they march around seven times. Uh, trumpets blow. Shout is given. Walls fall. They've, they become victorious by faith. God gives them victory. Now, here's what's very significant about those two tremendous stories of a people of faith than what God was able to do through a people. And it's this. Between their baptism and Jericho, some 40 years go by. 40 years. Why 40 years between those two experiences? You think individual faith is a challenge? You try getting a bunch of people together on the same page moving in faith. Great challenges. And what I want to do is just take us through some of the things that God did with those people to bring them to the land of promise and begin to give victory in the land of promise. And before we go through them, what is the land of promise or the promised land? Well, it's not heaven, even though songs have been written about crossing the Jordan and they suggest crossing the Jordan is heaven. Crossing the Jordan is not heaven because if crossing the Jordan was heaven, there would be no more battles to fight. There are enemies to deal with in the promised land and you have to continue to walk and fight by faith. What is the promised land? The promised land is the place of ultimate blessing and spiritual abundance that you get to by faith. But some things have to happen to get there. That's why it took 40 years. And I'll give you six things. There are more, but they'll give you, let me give you six significant things that happened during those 40 years. One is that there was an annual observance of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are inseparably linked. Uh, they were to take the Passover lamb, slaughter the lamb at twilight on the 14th day, apply the blood have the Passover meal, and immediately they would go into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, inseparably linked. On the 14th night, they would apply the blood, have the meal, and then begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread inseparably linked to Passover because of what they represent. The application of the blood, the deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. Egypt is the world. Again, it's our salvation experience by faith in, the, in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And then the very natural thing that happens with anyone, anyone that's really personally applied the blood. Here's the very next thing that happens. You begin to let God get the leaven out of your life. Leaven is sin. Leaven is evil. Leaven is the idolatry of Egypt. Leaven is the appetites of Egypt. When I... Applied the blood, 19 years old. Uh, immediately, one of the things uh, I desired and that God began to do in my life is to clean my life up, practically speaking. He cleaned my mouth up. He freed me of the drugs and he, he freed me of, uh, of Egypt. But he's continuing to do that. It's a process until we see Jesus face to face. But every time they would observe Passover, they would remember the great sacrifice and the application of the blood, their deliverance, their baptism through the Red Sea, 
and any leaven that they had allowed to come back into their lives, now when they observe Passover, they inseparably link unleavened bread with it, and they say, God, oh, God, (laughs) that was stuff in Egypt. I I let back into my life. Oh, Lord, I need to get that back out of my life again. And the idea was to keep the idolatry of Egypt and the appetites of Egypt free from them, free from those things, because they have now been called to worship, to worship. Let me give you these. Now, don't write them down. All the notes are online. All you got to do with a click and go online and get all the notes. Exodus 4.23, Exodus 7.16, Exodus 8.1, Exodus 9.1, and Exodus 9.13, and Exodus 10, verse 3. Every one of those verses, you know what it is? It's Moses going to Pharaoh before they're delivered from Egypt. And he says to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go so that they may worship me. That's numero uno. More important than how many lives are changed through your life, how many people you lead to Christ, uh, more important than how many ministries you start, more important than how big your church is. All those things have their place, but they're an outgrowth of one thing, and that is our worship. He's called us to worship, to worship. And the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, celebrated regularly, Help keep the leaven out of my life because leaven hinders my worship. Now, there was a central thing in their worship. It was called the tabernacle. Early on, it was called the tent of meeting because it was just a mobile tent and the ark underneath it and God's presence would come down and all the people would gather there and they would worship their God. So the tabernacle, if you will, was the central part of their worship that they're called to. But it hasn't even been constructed. Nothing's been constructed yet. How are they going to do it? Where are they going to get the stuff for it? Well, when you go to Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, it records for us that the people did as Moses instructed, and just before they're actually delivered from Egypt, they go to the Egyptians. You'd go to your neighbor, and you'd say, I want that diamond earring. I'd like that brooch. I'd like this. I'd like that. And God had so worked in the hearts of the Egyptians to want to get rid of these Israelites after Passover, you know, that they gave them whatever they wanted. And these former slaves, get this, these former slaves left Egypt richer than their wildest dreams. It's like they won the lottery. But don't miss why. Why'd God give them all that stuff? Not just so they worship a God of gold. No, 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 no. You get to Exodus 35, and God says to Moses, you go and stand before the congregation and say, now, from any of the stuff you have, whoever's willing, bring it as an offering to the Lord. And they took all those gems and all those valuable things and they used those things to construct the tabernacle. God didn't make them give it. He said, look, the things I've given you from the world, Egypt, that's what Egypt is a type of. Now I want you to use for my work. Whoever's willing, come. If you read that story, you get to Exodus 36 and the people were bringing so much that the workers who had been gifted in constructing all the things of the tabernacle, go back to Moses and say, you got to do something. They're bringing more than we need. And Moses stands before the people and says, look, stop bringing right now because they've got more than enough for the work. You think I'm going to say that to you today, don't you? (laughs) 
here's what I am going to say that I'm so thankful for. I, I'm amazed I get to be a pastor of this congregation. It just, it just amazes me, amazes me. I pinch myself and go, is this really happening? You know? I'll give you one quick testimony. Because the testimony of the giving of this fellowship is throughout the community and beyond and, and other churches when they hear that we don't even take an offering. Now, we used to. We used to have offering bags. I don't even know if we still got them. I don't even know if they're still here. That's what we inherited, the offering bags. And, and we used to take offerings, and God led us years ago to just build some boxes and put them in the back. And, and when we did, you know, offerings went And I almost got back up a couple of weeks later because we were hurting financially. And I, I almost said, guys, the boxes are in the back. I never did. And then eventually people got used to it, and it was more personal between them and God. And, and now we, we don't take an offering, but the, but the boxes are there so people can honor the Lord with what he's given us. But then after we stopped passing the offering and doing it in the service and had the boxes, we thought, well, we need a benevolence fund. We called it our special needs fund. We had people in the congregation having crisis financial situations. So I, we, we as a leadership agreed thought the Lord wanted us to start a benevolence fund. We called it our special needs offering. So I went before the congregation and says, once a month, first Sunday of every month, we're just going to pass the offering and, and take our benevolence offering, our special needs offering. And we started doing that. And then we started helping a lot of people. It was very practical, reaching out and helping people. Uh, and then the, the fund was growing faster than we could spend the money. And so we decided, well, we'll just go back to the congregation and say, we're not going to do it once a month. We'll just let you know when the pot is almost empty and we'll say, anybody wants to give, you can give. I don't even remember the last time we asked for a special needs offering. But I expected, I expected to be here right now during this message saying, guys, the pot's almost dry because just before I left for a few days of vacation during the holidays, we were down to about $1,000, and that's low for our fund, and as big as this fellowship is. And then I came in as I got back in the office, and I got the financial report. And while I was away, $17,329.84 came in last weekend for the special needs offering. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We didn't send out an email blast. We didn't see anything. Just God moved the hearts of people. We came in yesterday and got the offering report from last Wednesday. And another $2,300 plus came in for the special needs offering. I need to go on vacation more often. <laughs> One of the greatest testimonies of this fellowship is the giving. But before I move on, let me just say this. Please don't miss what the Lord wants to say to some people here. What a great testimony, and yet I, I, I know, I know, not because I, I know what you give. I don't know who gives what. I just know the bottom line. I don't, look, I don't know how much you give or if you give. I don't know if you've ever given a penny to this fellowship. I don't even look at other pastors and what they give. I just, that, that's the way God's led me. But some people, you're missing out. You're missing out. You've never actually applied Proverbs 3, 9 to your life as a Christian. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your increase. You're missing out. Not only, because Jesus said, listen, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who'll give you true riches? What he's saying is, your spiritual growth is dependent 
on that. Jesus said in the parable of the talents, that's the least you could do. The wicked lazy servant that buried the talent given him and the master said, well, at least you could have invested it. That's the least you can do. That's where spiritual growth starts. Taking of what God's given me. I believe in the tithe. Jacob tithed. Abraham tithed the Melchizedek, Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus commended the Pharisees for tithing, even though he condemned them for missing the more important matters. But some of you are missing out on spiritual growth, and on tremendous eternal reward. Those of us that have had the privilege over this last year of investing in this local church, and you hear all the things that God's doing, listen, there's eternal reward. You can't find a stock on earth that pays better dividends than the church. You can't find one. So Passover unleavened bread, offerings, free will for the work that God had called them to. And the central part of that work is their worship. And third, they had to be willing. Listen to this carefully. They had to be willing to be numbered. I bet you'll never guess where you find the record of that. The book of Numbers. (laughs) Old Testament, book of Numbers. Listen to it. Chapter 1. God says to Moses, take a census of the entire Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. Then in verse 5, he says, these are the names of the leaders who are going to help you. You match up other scriptures with that, like Exodus uh, chapter 18, verses 21 and 25. And it says there, in the numbering of the people, God appointed through Moses, leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and get this, tens. That's a small group. That's a small group where somebody leading that small group knows your name knows about your life, not to lord it over you, not to spy on you. But listen, listen, look how many people are here in this service. This is our third service for the weekend. There's over a thousand people in this one service. And listen, some of us, listen, hear this from the Lord as an encouragement, not a condemnation, but some of us that call Calvary Chapel, St. Petersburg, our home church are just a number. If you don't show up next week, nobody knows. Some tragedy happens in your life. We don't know about it. And you can't expect me to know about everybody. God's appointed pastors and leaders all the way down to the small group. And that's where it really counts because that small group is where somebody knows your name and what's happening in your life. And you know theirs. Get plugged in in such a way that Somebody knows you, and and you know somebody else. Another thing that God did during that 40 years is he had to develop in them, and it was a challenge to do this, a follow-the-leader faith. Follow-the-leader faith. I wish I had time on some of these details, but when you read the book of Numbers, God gave them camping assignments. God gave them marching assignments. And whenever the tabernacle would set out and the ark would set out and the cloud would move, they would break camp. But Judah would always go first. And they had an order. They had a camping order. They had a marching order. And God was trying to teach them. He was trying to teach them, follow the leader and follow my design plan. Hebrews 13, 17, for us New Testament believers says, obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. Because they watch out for your souls. By the time you got to Jericho, boy, it was a real follow the leader uh, faith. (laughs) A real follow the leader faith. 
because the ark would go out, the priest would lead, and everybody would march around. And it's interesting, and I'll come back to this in a minute. Well, I won't even say it now. I'll save it for the last. Follow the leader faith. And there was another very practical thing that had to happen, and that's why it took so long, because, listen, corporate faith has great challenges. You know what one of the other challenges they had? To stay unified, to think like one, uh, and to be in unity despite their great diversity. You get to Numbers chapter 2, and it, it will say, and this tribe, they camped here under their standard, and this tribe camped here under their standard, and everyone had a different standard of representation. That's diversity. And let me just tell you how diverse we are. How many of you like rock and roll? Come on, help me out here. Raise your hand. How many like rock and roll? Put your hands down. How many of you really like classical? God help you. I mean, God bless you. No, no, really. But, okay, how many of you wish we sang more hymns? Come on, be honest. Oh, well, you wish we sang more hymns, okay? How many of you homeschool your children, right? Or you did homeschool your children, all right? Put your hands down. How many of you private Christian school? That's what you are, okay? God bless you. Uh, how many of you public school? And my hand goes up. All my kids went through public school, all right? Look how diverse we are. How many Republicans? Now we're really going to get in trouble. No, we don't even do. We don't even know. We don't even know. You, 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 don't, you don't even realize you're sitting beside a Christian Democrat. I'm not going to go there. I got in trouble months ago for that stuff, and I, I ain't going there again. God, help me. What a challenge to have a group of people that are so diverse and keep them unified. Unity. Despite diversity, I grew up in Hartsville, South Carolina, a great vacation spot. I know you've probably been to, yeah. And uh, where I grew up, and it sounds like a movie now, but it was really how I grew up. And I grew up with, with, I mean, there were two very diverse groups of people. On one side of town was the Rainbow Drive-In, and that's where the rednecks hung out. And I've referred to myself as a redneck, but the truth is I wasn't a redneck in growing up in my culture. That was the rainbow. They listened to country music. They had the shotgun on the back, you know, on the window of the truck. Uh, I hung out with the people at Roost Drive-In. We listened to the James Gang and the Doobie Brothers, and it was a totally different style of music and a totally different group of people. And sometimes those two groups got pitted against one another. Sometimes you heard a fight was breaking out between the rednecks and the Roost Drive-In crowd. But whenever a rival team came to town for a football, basketball, baseball game. I don't care what it was. Let me tell you something. We were all the Hartsville Red Foxes. <laughs> you better not mess with those Red Foxes. We had unity when we recognized who the enemy was. One last thing that happened during those 40 years is there was purging of a lot of different kinds. Let me give you one, and then I'm going to read one last scripture. 1 Corinthians 10 is where I'm headed, and I'm just going to spend a moment there. But before I read 1 Corinthians 10, you know one of the things that had to be purged was a faithless influence and a specific faithless influence that happened uh, the first time they came to the shore of the Promised Land at the Jordan River. And they had the opportunity. And remember, Moses sent 12 spies in. The spies came back after, I think it was 40 days of exploring the land. And they came back and they said, man, this land is just what God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a place of abundance. 
but 10 out of 12 spies, even though they said, yeah, it's great. It's everything God said, but there's no way we can get live there. There's no way we can go there. There are giants there. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time today to learn more from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews references many Old Testament practices, and it's likely that this book was written to a group of Jewish Christian people. The writer talks about the priestly order and then connects how Jesus has become the great high priest for all. It's such a neat way that God ties the Old Testament in with the new. For those who are aware of the Jewish practices, it makes more and more sense as to why and how Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament things. Are you seeing those connections that the writer of Hebrews has made? If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings, feel free to visit our sermon archive at ccfstpete.church. That website again is ccfstpete.church. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to have you join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. Well, that's all that we have for today. But thanks for tuning in with Pastor Danny to hear more great things from the book of Hebrews. And we trust that you'll continue to learn from the living word.